Please open your pew Bible with me, and we will be reading from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 through 9. Isaiah 55, 1 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Come, all of you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me, hear me, that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David, See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you. Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
simplest of all love songs I want to bring to you So I'll live my words with you Jesus, I am so in love As we were singing that first uh, praise song that we did today about uh, God being the potter and us the clay, in my mind, all I could see was college. I had a roommate that was an art major, and uh, Don was, he, well, he was a wild man, is basically all I can say. He... he um, was a Christian, but he thought in different ways than most people did. And one time he was working in the apartment on uh, some pottery, and his art teacher said to him, well, do something different. I'm tired of seeing the same old stuff every time we do this class, and I want you to create something different. And they were making what was called, at that time, pinch pots, and they were small pots that uh, you then pinched with your fingers and did them. And, and I watched him for hours as he molded the clay. What I didn't see him was that when he uh, finished his pinch pot, it was completely a circle. And I thought, well, now that's interesting. And he didn't say a word. He took it to his class. And he gave it to his uh, professor, and the professor looked at it, and it was done well. But his professor would take things and throw them down on the uh, tables in front of him to break them, to say, well, this is just boring, and he threw it down. Well, Don knew that he was going to do something like that, and he filled the pinch pot full of grape jelly. <laughs> I told you my, my roommate was a wild man. And uh, got him an A on pinch pots. You know, nobody else got one. I, and I think sometimes God takes us and molds us. 
And uh, sometimes, you know, we're cracked pots. I don't want to mention anybody here in this church, but there's some cracked pots around here. And that's not a bad thing, because God wants us to leak out what he puts in the pot to his world, to refresh it and renew it. Because so many times we Christians just close it off. And we don't let anything of what God gives us out. And sometimes I think he's really glad when we get cracks in us because we can't hold his love any longer. We've got to let it go. And I want to say to you as we get ready uh, this Sunday, I, I, I'm going to preach on the same passage I've preached on for the last two Sundays. Some of you may not have realized I've preached two times in a row, but some of you are saying, yeah, well, I just want to say this to you. I'm going to preach on this passage until you either get it and start doing it or you throw me out. No, uh, that, that, I'm just kidding. But uh, this will be the last Sunday for a while on this passage. But there's so much here. This is, for John, the key, key passage of who Jesus is and why he came. And we need to get it. We in the church need to get it, especially in these days, to share his love out into the world. So today I want to share with you something very simple, but it's very profound. The Lord God loves you. Now I want to, I want to say that again. The Lord God loves you. He loves our church, and he loves you. But some of you just can't quite believe it. Over the years that I've been a pastor, some 40 years now, I've heard a lot of people talking to me about why it's hard for them to believe that God loves them. Some say, well, Randy, you don't know the sin that I committed. I'll say, no, you haven't shared it with me, but I'm always interested kind of my job. Uh, Others are so profoundly affected by their sin that they don't believe that God could ever love them. Let me say to you, God loves you. He does. And even when you don't think you're very lovely or loving, he still loves you. When you have sinned, God still loves you. He may not appreciate your sin, but he still loves you because he's always reaching out to try to help us come back to him. You know what it's like when you've sinned, when you think you've sinned, when you know you've sinned, when you are full of sin in your heart and in your mind. You start to wander off from God. And he still loves you. And he's still trying to call you back home. If you don't get anything else out of this sermon today, that's what I hope you learn. God loves you. Right now I want you to hear what God says about his own nature. I want you to really just 
in your mind, let go of all of your misconceptions about God. And maybe accept him as true, what he says about himself. When Moses asked God to show him more of himself, God gave this revealing self-portrait. It's found in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. And he, that, that's God, passed before Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. I'm going to say that again because I want you to hear it. This is what God says about himself. And as he passed before Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. See, that's what God says he's like. Did you hear it? The Lord is compassionate, and the Lord is gracious, and the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, and he maintains love. God loves you. He loves you simply because he has chosen to love you. Not by anything that you've done to make him love you. He loves you when you, you don't feel lovely. He loves you when no one else loves you. Always, no matter what. This is his promise. I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. Jeremiah 3, 31, 3. So with that in mind, let's hear our scripture one more time. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I want to tell you about a young man named Charles Robinson. He was 19 and in need of money. So he went to the Jefferson State Bank on a Wednesday afternoon and filled out a loan application. He left the bank. Apparently, he changed his mind about the loan and opted for a quicker plan. He came back a couple hours later with a pistol, a bag, and a note demanding money. The teller complied, and, and Charles ran out of the bank. Halfway to the car, he realized that he left the note inside the bank, and fearing that it would be used as evidence against him, he ran back into the bank and grabbed the note and then ran back out of the bank now holding the note and the bag of money. He got to his car, his getaway car, and realized that he'd left his keys to the car on the counter on the bank. At this point, he, he had total panic. And he ran down the street and into a fast food place and into the bathroom, and he dislodged the ceiling tile and put the money and the gun up there. He then ran down alleys and crept behind cars and finally reached his apartment. 
When he got into his apartment, his uh, roommate, whose car it was, said, where's my car? And quickly he said, it was stolen. And so the roommate grabbed the telephone, dialed 911, and talked to the police about his car being stolen. Well, it didn't take long for them to find the keys, to find the car, to put it to the house and the apartment, and the police showed up at the apartment. And uh, the young man, Charles uh, Robertson, um, he just, in total panic, confessed to everything. Okay, one person. But I want to tell you about another one. Um, His name is Christopher. He's my nephew. A few years ago, he was running from the law. He had the drug problem. And had, uh, well, the, the parole people, he'd broken parole, were starting to look for him put him back into jail. So Christopher decided to disguise himself. He bleached his hair blonde and it was a color not natural to human beings. (laughs) Then he put on pink sunglasses. I'm not lying. He put on pink sunglasses and then started to move around Modesto visiting friends. He didn't use a cell phone because he knew that they could trace that. So he found a few um, pay phones that were still in existence in Modesto. And he'd call his friends to pick him up. Well, one of his friends said, well, you know, the police never check around the station. So he began to use the pay phone across the street from the police station. One day, a detective was looking out the window and saw this strange-looking, blonde-headed, pink, sunglass young man. And he called the others uh, in the station, the other detectives, to come look at the freak. And one of them said, Say, isn't that the guy we're looking for? And they all ran out and apprehended my nephew, Christopher. And he went back to jail. Uh, Somehow some things occurred, and I think they were just really... The jails were full and they wanted to release him. And so they offered Christopher one of those golden handshakes. If you pay X amount of dollars, we'll let you out of jail. And Christopher's dad paid for it because at that point, um, his grandfather, my brother-in-law, Bill, had died and we were having a memorial service. Remember, I left and went and did that uh, for them. Well, Christopher was fine, out of jail, but still had to follow what he needed to do. When down the road there a few weeks, he, after the memorial service, um, he stole a car and uh, they found him, surrounded him with the police, uh, and then he tried to run one of them over. Not a wise choice. So they arrested him and put him back in jail for the next 45 years. He'll get out of jail when he is 73, okay? Most of his life has been in jail. He was a drug baby. You know, we're a lot like Charles and Christopher. You say, wait a minute, Randy, I haven't done anything like that. Maybe we haven't taken money or broken parole, but we've taken advantage or taken control 
taken leave of our, our senses. And then like a thief, we've taken off, dashing down alleys of deceit, hiding behind buildings of work to be done and deadlines to be met. Though we try to act normal, when, uh, to anyone looking at us, they can see that we're on the lamb. We hide from God, but even when we do these foolish things, the Bible tells us that God loves us. Now, he wants us to change. We're going to have to pay for what we've done, but it doesn't change his love for us. See, I believe it doesn't matter what we've done. God still loves us and wants to touch our hearts and change us. It's what that parable that Jesus taught is all about. You know, the shepherd and his hundred sheep and one of them wanders off. And so the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes and finds the one that is lost. Let me ask you, is Jesus looking for you? Have you wandered off? Well, I bet he is looking for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That love of God and the Lord is a love that goes the distance. Jesus traveled from heaven to the confines of earth in order to become one of us. He didn't have to. He could have gone back at any step along the way. But because of love, he finished God's plan. When he saw the size of Mary's womb, he could have just said, no, I'm not doing that. When he saw how tiny his hands would be, or how soft his voice would be, or how hungry his tummy would get, he could have stopped at the first whiff of the stinky stable. The first time he scraped his knee or tasted burnt food. When he saw the dirt floor of his home. When he had to study the Torah. Or at the la first lash of the whip on his back. He could have stepped down from the cross. At any point he could have said, that's enough. I'm going home. But he didn't. Why? Because he loves us and love endures all things. He loved us enough to go the distance. Let me see, set this scene for you one more time. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. He came with questions for the Lord. He came at night for fear of being seen, I believe, by other Pharisees, but also the Pharisees at this time had identified themselves against Jesus. Their tradition was in the evening, the religious leaders would get together and discuss matters about God. So this was common for Nicodemus. Nick came asking, we know that God hears prayers, but does he answer prayer? What he asked in essence was, are you really the one? Are you God's answer to our prayers? Nick and the Jews had longed for the coming of the Messiah. Jesus responds with these words, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. They had waited a long time, but God does answer our prayers. Out of God's great love for us, he gave us his son. Did it say for 
God so loved the world that everyone who believes in the Westminster Catechism is saved? No, that's not what it says. Whoever believes in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, and they begin to get it, to get eternal life and forgiveness. They get heaven. Let me ask you, how about you? Do you get it? Do you have eternal life yet? So I want to, you to, what do I want you to take away from all of this? Well, I believe God wants us all to become what I have classified as contagious Christians. A contagious Christians are ordinary people, just like you and just like me, who have found and experienced the forgiveness and love of Jesus Christ, who are surrendering their lives under the lordship of Jesus Christ, but have a spiritual impact on the lives of others around them. Contagious Christians can be found in a wide range of sizes and colors and ages and personalities and temperaments and levels of experience. In his great wisdom, God created all kinds of Christians and put them in circles of influence with all kinds of spiritual seekers. And in these circles, God loves his love and his truth are communicated and experienced. And people, they surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. That's contagious Christianity. Okay, I want to stop right here and say, uh, let's get away from the academic definition of contagious Christian and say this. Do you want to know what contagious Christians look like? Then when you're done with church today and you get home, go stand in front of the mirror you're just like a contagious Christian. For the last three years, I've been an attender here in worship with you. And then I became your pastor. And I've watched you and I've listened to you. And let me make it clear, you are exhibiting the Lord's compassion and care. And to the pre-Christians in the world, you're doing it. But for some of you, you've never recognized that you're doing it. You say, oh, I'm not doing very much. But you are. It's a great deal in the kingdom of God. I believe God's word to us today is keep doing what you're doing. Just do more of it. Some of you are afraid that LCPC is going to die and we're going to close its doors. But let me say to you, it's not going to happen. God hasn't brought you this far just to forsake you. But you may have to change some and maybe reach out more, doing more of what you're already doing. Contagious Christians and contagious churches exhibit acts of compassion and acts of love as we try to live authentic Christian lives. There's a formula for this. Did you know that? There is a formula for being a contagious church. I'm going to share it with you. High potency plus close proximity plus clear communication equals maximum spiritual impact. I'm, I want to say it again because you got to get this. 
high potency plus close proximity plus clear communication equals maximum spiritual impact. Okay, what do I mean by high potency? It's the process each of us must go through when we do Bible study and prayer and surrender so we can have more of Jesus in our lives. It's by our work and discipline and surrender that we become more like Jesus. High potency. Well, what about close proximity? It's our rubbing shoulders with pre-Christians. It's as simple as taking the time to be with some people who don't know Jesus yet. Wherever that may be. That's close proximity. The third is clear communication. And this is our ability to let people know when they ask us. Did you hear that? When they ask us why we do the things we do. Why we're committed followers of Jesus Christ. Why do we attend church where we experience God's love? We tell them why we believe and then ask them to come along with us and discover more of God's love. And when we do these things, the product comes naturally and that's maximum spiritual impact for the kingdom of God in people's lives. High potency plus close proximity plus clear communication equals maximum spiritual impact. There's an attractiveness to authenticity and even a greater pull by acts of compassion for others. God calls us to share loving acts of compassion with the world. And when we do it, people respond. We don't have to be spiritual giants, just ordinary people like you and like me. When I think of you, Lakeside, Community Presbyterian Church, and the ministry that you're doing, it makes me proud to be your pastor. When you come to me and tell me your stories of loving others for Jesus' sake, I say inside, yes, that's what we're supposed to be and do. It's simple. Just do more of what you're already doing. I personally have experienced your love and your compassion, and I've seen you share it with each other and with pre-Christians. You've made my life richer because of your love. So let me free you to love people in the name of Jesus Christ. I want to close this sermon with a special verse. It's Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Hear the word of the Lord. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Do you know what Jesus looks for when he looks in a life that's been transformed? First, he looks for love in their life. He's looking for the fruit of love that comes out of your life. And secondly, he's looking for goodness. So if you really want to know if you are a Christian, then just look behind you and see if love and goodness is what is the product of your life. And I say to you, it is.
Let God love you. And then you love other people in our community. It's just that simple. Let's pray. Almighty God, we want to hear your truth about how simple the Christian walk is. That you want us to love others around us. To share the hope that we have and the experience with you that we have and that we will be your people. And we ask your Holy Spirit to come and fill us and lead us and direct us and guide us. And we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.